With great data comes even greater access latency. Welcome to the Trino Community Broadcast, where we transform your latency woes into fast insights. Trino Community Broadcast is a show where we cover events and happenings within the open source Trino community and show off some really cool stuff about views in Trino today. <laughs> so uh, welcome, Anjali. Uh, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Uh, Anjali comes from uh, Netflix, uh, and you've been pretty active in the uh, in the open source Trino community, uh, especially very recently. That's right. It's great to be here. Thank you, Brian. Yes. And it's exciting to uh, work with all these cool things in Trino. Awesome. And uh, we also have yet again uh, this week, as, as of last week, uh, Martin uh, joining us again. So thanks for joining us, Martin. Thank you, Brian. It's good to be here again. And uh, my typical partner in crime, Manfred, welcome. <laughs> Hey, 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 everyone. And of course, we're sporting Pumanda Banban again, so we're ready to roll. That's right. So actually, yeah, Anjali, we, not, not, that just made me think we need to uh, get you some Commander Banban swag here shortly. But uh, uh, maybe maybe if you, uh, you you get it by default. By the way, just, this is just a, a kind of a, a public service announcement for anybody in the community. If you join our, our meetups, we, we have... Uh, uh, monthly meetups that we're, we're at least regularly doing in the Americas for now, and we're actively trying to extend these out to EMEA and, and APAC uh, areas as well. But uh, if you join up one of these meetups, you you, you get some uh, free Commander Bun Bun swag, and this is the one place we're kind of uh, filtering out. I've gotten a couple questions down the line saying, like, where can we buy Commander Bun Bun swag? And we're not, uh, we don't have it in a store yet, but uh, we, we eventually will. But for the time being, the way you get Commander Bun Bun swag is to show up to our, our meetups, and uh, and then we'll we'll set up a little uh, thing that you can sign up and put your T-shirt size in and all that stuff. So that's just a little PSA in general. But uh, but yeah, we definitely need to get you some some uh, CBB swag uh, and uh, um, get you all set up over there, Angelique. Because yeah, you've you've definitely done a lot for the community. We want to at least give you a shirt. <laughs> Thank you. I love Commander Bun Bun, by the way. Good. Yeah, I was going to say, like, he's been pretty popular, but uh, I don't know. We, we need to think of a cool way to in integrate him into the Netflix logo. <laughs> <laughs> so before we uh, we jump too heavy into uh, what we're covering today, uh, let's go do a quick word from our sponsor, Starburst, and we'll be back in just a moment. As we all know, data is the lingua franca of a successful business. And the key to success for any company is deriving business value from data in a robust, scalable, and timely fashion. I am thrilled to be bringing you Starburst Galaxy because it is the solution to the problems our data teams have faced for years. This product will bring the power of Starburst Enterprise to everyone so that the path from data source to data analysis shrinks down to zero. With modern and secure managed infrastructure, we handle all the hard parts and let your data teams focus on the data itself. Because the underlying engine is Starburst Enterprise and Starburst Galaxy gives you all the benefits of managed infrastructure, you can set up a Starburst environment and be analyzing your data in just a fraction of the time. So to sum up, with Starburst Galaxy, you get a managed data platform that connects directly to your data sources. And within our application, you can both explore and gain insights into your data. This is the next generation of data and the ultimate platform for fast, direct value from your data.
Yeah, so um, uh, actually, we're going to be uh, uh, updating that that um, little advertisement to uh, something a little more informal and uh, uh, on the next one. So, but we'll still have Colleen uh, be be joining us for that and uh, and get us a little bit of uh, background into Starburst. So, so I know we got some commentary on uh, our on our advertisements, and we're we want them to be a little more uh, spontaneous and kind of uh, more talk show host talking style. So, so look forward to that, uh, in the coming episodes. Um, so this week we're talking about, uh, Trino views, high views, materialized views versus logical views. And there's, there's a lot of times where, uh, and, and I have to say even very recently coming into this episode where I've been confused by how views are actually like stored, maintained, uh, and, and particularly in Trino, because, you know, Trino, depending on the connector, is going to have different ways that it it uh, it it stores a view and how it actually uses the views. Um, and so it's it was always a little bit fuzzy for me, and I never particularly used it in production myself. Any any uh, uh, views and uh, in, in my own experiences. So I I always kind of knew what views were roughly doing, but I didn't actually know specifically like if you're dealing with the Hive connector, or if you're dealing with like old views that were created in Hive, like how are all these things uh, different? And so um, we we jumped into talking about kind of some of An Angeli's more recent work that you've been doing. And it's it's pretty cool that, you know, we're, we're now able to do uh, this materialized views in Iceberg. But I wanted to kind of take a little bit of a step back and to kind of actually bring us in before we just start talking immediately about like, oh, like Iceberg views and and start just jumping straight into the the meat of the subject there's a lot of people that are probably like me uh manfred also had a couple questions along the way too it's just like we're not really sure exactly how to conceptualize views as a whole um when it comes to specifically you know in, in trino so uh you know angeli i i i'm gonna go here into the code scene and actually just kind of bring up you know we have a couple of these concepts that we'd like to talk about views in general um could we just take a step all the way back to maybe something that maybe a lot of the engineers will at least know, or at least most people in this community will, will be able to understand, which is starting with table abstractions and then maybe move towards, you know, uh, actually talking about views from there. Like how are tables that we know pretty well that have all these columns and data, uh, how does that ultimately become a view or how are they even related to views? So first let's think about why views are even necessary. I think views provide two or three distinct benefits. One is you can hide data from the end user. You can put all your complexity inside the view and provide literally an abstraction over the underlying data, which makes it easier for the end user because they're not worried about, hey, how is this calculation performed? All they need to know is, hey, this is some of sales amount. That's all they need to know. They don't need to know exactly which function was used to compute that. Yeah. Um, so views are really a mechanism that let you build an abstraction layer on top of your tables, on top of your data. They can contain all kinds of SQL complexity like joins, aggregations, grouping, so on and so forth. Um, essentially, that's what it is. It's a view of the data and okay. you can build many different views over the same data, giving different roles, different types of um, accesses, different types of uh, um, 
uh, abstractions over the same data. A salesperson might be interested in looking at a certain dimension, a marketing person might look at a different dimension and so on and so forth. So you can so actually- sort of The first confusion always comes up with me. Like when I, when, like I, I'm coming from a relational database background, I do a create table, all is hunky-dory do, uh, and it gets stored in the database. I go and do a create view and everything is hunky-dory do, I understand what's going on and it got stored in a database and everything is good. And now when I'm doing I'm seeing create table. And I'm like, where does the create view, where does the view even go? We don't store data. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, whoops, it's there, but it's not. So what's going on, Martin, maybe? Can you like explain what's happening? Yeah, so if you think about it, uh, so in, in, in SQL, views and tables are, uh, are, are, are uh, yeah, views and tables are like similar entities. Like they, they have a schema, they have a set of cons, a, a set of data types. And to the engine and, and to anyone querying them, they really appear as if they were just regular tables. Uh, you can think of a, a view as a, is a, is like a, pro a promise to compute some data at some point. Um, so from from uh, from the, the user's perspective, they, they just type a query like uh, they would be querying any other any other table. Select select start from something, and that something can be a table, can be a view, and so so they they, they both exist in the same table namespace, if you if if you will. Um, so the way the way Trino deals with them. Um, uh, there, there, are two there are two APIs in the in the connector interface. Uh, one for obtaining information about a table, which is like uh, basically the engine says tells the connector give me the schema definition of a table, and under some a set of physical properties that are associated with a table. And then for a view, you can say give me the query definition of this view plus all the the schema, the tables, the the columns and types. Um, and then it's up to the connector to decide where to store that definition. Just like, for example, if you're querying the hype connector and you ask for a table, it will consult the meta store and say, well, what is the, the schema of this table? What is the location? Is the location in S3, is in HDFS? And then, and then it goes, uh, goes on after that. For a view, it's the same. It will say, well, what is the definition of this view? And the connector will have to say, well, I need to go to some place that has that definition stored. In the case of Hive, it will be the Metastore because the Metastore understands how to store views. Uh, in the case of some other connector, it might be a different thing. Like if you're talking to, um, well, I mean, uh, in Trino, no many connectors support views today, but uh, if you were to implement a connector, for example, a connector that is based on, on uh, making API calls to a remote service, uh, you might have an API call that uh, that the remote service implements that provides that definition of a view. So all you need is for the connector to be able to store that definition somewhere and then produce it on demand when the, the engine asks for it. So, so the, the typical behavior with say the PostgreSQL connector is that a table just shows up as a view and you create it in Postgres or can you create it in Trino at the stage already as well? Uh, so, so in, in uh, well, this one one thing we need to need to separate. So, when you're talking about Postgres tables and views, those are presented to uh, Trino as if they were tables. Like these are so mm -hmm. Trino talks to the, the Trino Postgres connector talks to the Postgres instance and issues uh, SQL queries via JDBC. And for a JDBC connection, a, a table or a view inside Postgres appears as a regular table, just like 
for an end user, a table or view inside Trino appears as a regular table uh, from the per for the purpose of querying. So Trino doesn't know that there's a view inside Postgres. Uh, mm -hmm. It just it just interacts with them as if they were tables, and then Postgres on the fly will compute uh, the results of the view. Now, if you if you wanted to have views inside, if you wanted to support Trino views and store them inside Postgres, you would need to, uh, the connector would need to be smart enough to go to store those views in, in some sidecar table or some other storage. Uh, it, so the connector doesn't- So it doesn't wouldn't create a native, like, so currently no. you can't go create view with a Postgres connector and it creates something in Postgres. It just doesn't. That's Correct, it, does, it doesn't work that way, yeah. Okay, so you'll create it I natively. Mean, it, it, it might be possible to extend the connector at some point to do that, but that's not, not currently possible. Uh -huh. So for today's discussion, it's really important to, to keep this in mind that what we are talking about are Trino views and yeah. Trino materialized views uh, built on top of tables that can be from any connector or views for that matter on top of any connector. Yeah, so I liked, I, I actually went in, uh, you know, fo focusing on kind of Trino specific views, we kind of rule out most of the connectors that uh, generally exist across across the board with with uh, um, with Trino, except for this is kind of like dealing with the Hive connector and the Iceberg connector. So if we uh, let me just bring this back, I, I pulled up basically this this little table uh, that uh, was created basically just to uh, summarize. Uh, these the the ways in which we're dealing we have Trino views and some of which like we currently don't have the capability to support. So uh, originally, I believe the kind of initial uh, request for views was actually coming in from Hive, right? Like I I'm migrating from uh, Hive and I'm moving to Trino and I need there to be I need there to be a way that I you know from Trino I can access these views. Um, at least to kind of maintain my operations moving forward and maybe at some point migrate those views or the data that's sitting in those views over into, you know, something that was maybe created by Trino. Um, so, so what was initially, and I don't exactly know the timeline, so maybe Trino views existed before these uh, this ability to read Hive. That's probably actually the case, but, um, but let's just, for the sake of the conversation, let's start with, you know, views that were created in Hive and then we now need this ability to actually read read those views out. So, um, so how do we actually uh, go ahead and, and read those views? Um, there's there's kind of an issue. Uh, and and Angeli, can you tell me a little bit about the issue that if I create a view in Hive, uh, is is there um, or maybe this may not this may be something more closer to Martin's uh, uh, area, but um, either of you. Uh, if I create a view in Hive, like what are the, some of the challenges that lie in in terms of like storing that view and pulling it back out? So there's a view that was created in uh, uh, in, in Hive, and now I want to read it from Trino. What what, what is that? Uh, what does the shape of that look like, and what are some of the challenges to actually implementing that? Yeah. So one thing to uh, understand is that the definition of a view in as Trino expects it is a SQL query. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you say create view, uh, and you and you provide a, a query, what what Trino communicates to the connector is, this is the query this the query using the Trino SQL language that's associated with that view. Mm. Uh, and then when when you ask the connector give me the definition of a of a view, it expects 
SQL, uh, a SQL definition that, that, that is based on, on Trino SQL language. Hive has its own concept of views and uses the Hive dialect of SQL, it's called HQL. And when you create a view in Hive, you say something like create view as, uh, and you specify a, a, a Hive dialect query, it gets stored in the Metastore in, in, in a textual form using that, that Hive dialect. So obviously that's not compatible with, with Trino. You can't, you can't uh, the connector, so if the connector took that HQL view and, and returned the text to Trino, Trino wouldn't know how, what to do with it. it. It has different syntax. There are functions that exist in Hive that don't exist in Trino. Some of the, uh, some of the uh, operations have different semantics. So if you, if you try to execute that HQL query in uh, as part of a query in, in Trino, that, that just wouldn't work. So what you need there is for the connector to adapt the definition that's in uh, using the HQL to something that Trino can understand. And I think that's where you're going to go with yeah. uh, what needs to happen. So there, there's a translation layer in, in the middle. So when Trino says, I want to, I want the definition for this view, the connector, the high connector consults the, the Metastore and says, is there a view uh, in, in stored in the Metastore and is it HQL? If it is, then translate it to something that Trino understands before returning it to the engine. Yeah. And, and, and so to, to do that, uh, you know, I, uh, this was implemented, I think a while back, we, we I, I put an honorable mention to the PR that integrated this, but, uh, there's this library that, uh, LinkedIn, uh, created called, uh, Coral. Um, could you tell us, uh, I, um, again, this is all up for Angeli or, or Martin, but, uh, uh, maybe Martine, I'm not sure if you know more about this, but what is Coral actually like doing or taking care of with this translation layer? Like, how does it work? Yeah, Coral is a library that that takes uh, uh, one dialect of, of SQL, uh, like it parses it, does all the analysis. So basically, you want when you do translation, you can do translation at the syntactic level, but that that may miss uh, a number of things. Like you don't understand, you may not understand the 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 semantics of some operations, like uh, some 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 combinations of operations may produce one result in one dialect and a different result in a different dialect. So you cannot do a simple syntactic translation. You have to understand types and and, and things that are not immediately obvious from looking at the SQL hmm. in order to do a proper translation. So what Corel does is it takes a query in one dialect, it parses it, does the analysis, converts it to an in, in internal representation, and then reverses that into um, a different dialect. And obviously at, at that point it applies rule that say, well, if I have a combination of this function call with something else in the other dialect that translates into this other function or, or, or this other uh, structure. So it, it, it does, it does a, the translation and then produces the corresponding uh, SQL in the, in the target language. There's and a... for that you just, yeah. Oh, sorry, Go finish what you were gonna say. No, I was going to say for that uses uh, this this um, optimizer framework called Apache Calcite, which has parsers for different languages. It has an intermediate representation. It has a, um, uh, facilities for transforming uh, that intermediate rep representation from one shape to another with uh, by applying a set of rules. So, so basically, Coral is actually uh, taking you know this this Calcite library that's and it's pretty well known and pretty well used in a lot of different various uh, query engine and database projects. 
Um, it takes that that and just kind of applies it to meta store specific, like Hive meta store specific uh, dialects that that utilize uh, Hive meta store. I think is the the main gist, and I might I might be totally misrepresenting that, but I think that's the the basic gist is that that's what Coral's ad is on top of uh, what Apache Calcite already offers. So there's an image that we have kind of embedded in the show notes, uh, and it shows an example of this where, you know, you'd start out with this Hive uh, query, then uh, Coral will basically take that Hive query uh, and do the analyzing and, and shows kind of an, an example uh, representation of what the query might look like in an in internal rep uh, intermediate representation. And then it translates that intermediate representation with a couple rules to a what they call a Trino IR, a specific maybe uh, a couple rules that get uh, applied uh, that make it specific to Trino's uh, language. And then you ultimately uh, can can uh, move from that internal representation to generate the uh, the Trino um, uh, query language. And, and so, or, uh, or Trino syntax. And at that point, so uh, if we look at kind of uh, where what this looks like, uh, we, I've, I've also added a sequence diagram so if we look at uh, again. So so if you're on the podcast, definitely check out the uh, <laughs> definitely check out the show notes because uh, we we have a couple uh, diagrams here to kind of help uh, conceptualize what's actually going on here between the different systems. So in the beginning, you know, you you started out with Hive, and so you, you'll make you'll start from the Hive system and and basically create the Hive view. And this is uh, talking about, uh, we're going to get into this here in a second, but this is just talking about a logical view and not necessarily a materialized view that's, that's going to persist any data. Um, so we'll, we'll basically create a logical uh, uh, store, essentially that, that Hive uh, QL uh, create view language and, and store the, the query that gets run anytime you address that, that logical view. And then it basically just says, okay, this view is created and you can start querying it, do whatever. But then to call it from Trino, you actually say, okay, if I'm going to select, you know, query this high view now, I need to actually, I'll, I'll go and fetch the metadata. But what comes back instead of this, this, uh, Trino, uh, Trino, the Trino syntax, uh, query language to, that defines this view. It's actually as man, uh, as Martin had kind of mentioned is going to be in this hive syntax. So we need to perform this translation layer after it comes back from the metadata using coral before we actually move that back to the query engine, uh, in, in Trino to, uh, generate the plan, uh, and actually go forward and, and retrieving the data. So that's what this sequence diagram here is showing from top to, to bottom and in, in plain English. Um, that actually kind of provides a really cool segue, I think, for us to move into uh, talking about the next subject. So we, we've, we've talked a little bit about uh, logical views, but, but um, what, are, what is kind of the difference between a, a, a logical view and a materialized view? Uh, and I'll, I'll direct that one to Anjali. So logical views don't store any data, right? So you have the tables, you have the logical views, but logical views don't have any data. At the same time, users are like, hey, I have this cool encapsulation of, of over this data. But every time I write a query against this logical view, the engine is going to go take the view definition, expand it out, and run that query hmm. against whatever was the base table. Now, depending on what is in that logical view, it can be expensive. Hmm. Now, on the other hand, it would be cool 
if you could actually pre-execute that logical view definition, that query, and store the results somewhere. And then, yeah. then basically what you would avoid is you avoid all the aggregation and any of the complex calculations and whatever to create the data, right? Because otherwise, right. If, if I run a query into a logical view and then Martin runs the same query, it has to do that aggregation each time versus it, with the materialized it, view, it doesn't, right? So it it's doesn't, way more the efficient. materialized view stores this data. So essentially you can think of materialized view as a combination of table and a view. It's a table because it holds some data. Hmm. It's a view because it has a definition associated with it. So materialized view essentially says, here is my definition and here is the data corresponding to that definition. So it's kind of a, of a concept that uses both tables and views. Okay. And we were, you mentioned a little bit before too, I didn't want to miss this. Uh, there's also, so, you know, we, we have these views that kind of, uh, hide abstractions at the very least. Now we have this kind of secondary use case where, okay, we're going to be repeatedly calling this view. So we want to make sure that we're storing, uh, that data somewhere so that we don't have to keep recalculating it. Um, but there's also like a, another use case that, that people use views for, which is like, you know, authentication and, 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 uh, trying to verify, um, you know, like, uh, basically hide, hide different things that maybe, uh, low level tables that you don't want, uh, certain users or certain departments or roles, uh, to have access to. So could you, could you go into a little bit of that use case, uh, and talk about that in terms of views? So views as well as materialized views um, allow you to do this where depending on your definition, you could project out certain columns, uh, sensitive personal information type columns. You could also filter out rows that are not relevant to the role of the user mm. and uh, give the users access only to the logical view or the materialized view without giving any access to the underlying base data. So this is almost kind of a way, uh, one way that, you know, th there's, there's all this stuff about like, you know, you want to mask, uh, you know, th there's like a, a, a attribute masking and, and, and row, row uh, masking and things like that, that still returns the row and you can actually perform queries on the row. But this one would actually say, okay, we, there's, they're, they're not going to need to know about this, this column, or, or maybe this is some complexity that I'm trying to hide. Or maybe I just don't want this this you know person or team to have access to this data at all, not even to even use it within the query. So I am going to uh, you know totally hide this, and this is kind of taking it that step further and, and and kind of hiding or keeping that data away from people who don't need to see it. That's right. Cool. Very cool. And and there's in Trino there are these concepts of uh, of a definer and invoker. Is that 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 kind of uh, one of the ways that you can also kind of uh, uh, specify this this language to to say who who actually can run these these views or, or have access to these views. I, I can take that. Yeah. So so the the SQL specification talks about views as uh, executing with the with the privileges of the person that owns a view. So for example, if you Ryan go and create a view that selects from uh, I know an employees table, mm -hmm. uh, and then someone goes and queries your view, that, that query that that's part of the definition of the view will execute with your permissions, which is, and, and this is super powerful because it means that uh, you can grant restricted access to uh, to that underlying employee's table to everyone else but yourself. And then uh, you, can, uh, you can present only the piece of data that are 
that that you want your your end users to to see. Like for example, if you have, I know, uh, let's say your employee still has a social security number, and and you want people to be able to query the names of the employees but not access their social security number, you can hide that that column and you can restrict access to the underlying table, but give access to the view. So when people query that that view, they can they can get the the names and and any any other details, but they can't. There's no way for them to go and get the social security number, Got it. right? So that's what's called definer uh, security mode, and that's that's what what's uh, that's what's covered by the specification, the SQL specification. Uh, we added an extension to to this model uh, by by introducing an, another security mode, which we call uh, Invoker. Um, and this is a kind of a way to, to treat views as templates. It's like, if you wanted to treat your view as a, as a stored query, just because you want to save from the trouble of having to type that query over and over again, mm. uh, but you want the, the, the query to execute with the permissions of the, of the, of the, of the, of the, of the person querying the view, then you use the invoker. So basically it says, it doesn't matter what the, the permissions of the creator of the view are, the, the, the definition of the view is going to be expanded into the, the the query that refers to it, and and then it will apply the rules of whoever is uh, executing that that end query. Okay. So, for example, if that if that view was uh, was set up to access the employee's table, and you refer to some column that the user didn't have permission to, or or even access to the table that didn't have permissions to, then if Manfred goes and queries your view, he will get a permission server because like, he doesn't have permission to the underlying tables. Okay. So it's, it's, they, they kind of serve two different different use cases. Yeah. Uh, as, as I said, one of them is just a, a way to conveniently define stored queries that people can reuse. In the other case, you're trying to create an, an abstraction over uh, uh, data and permissions and, and so on by hiding hiding the underlying physical tables. Yeah, I like that uh, that analogy you draw on the on the invoker one, which is more of like a template and just kind of re, re, reusing it and, and uh, each each individual person that comes in, you're not sure if you're gonna have the permissions, but you can at least give it a shot to try to re rerun the same query uh, that, that somebody else is running. So that's good, makes sense. Um, okay, so so then getting back to this uh this you know uh again check this in your show notes if you're if you're listening to this but uh we have this table here so we've talked about hive created views and so far we've we've touched upon the logical view and how you can read those read those out um and so now that we've kind of uh touched into like the materialized view of, of hive created view this is also something that's possible to to accomplish from trino and it, it works uh, roughly the same way. The difference this time, though, is when Hive uh, creates this view, um, the the main the only thing is that uh, when you create the view, you actually are storing data in your in your data store. In this case, we're we're showing it as MinIO. This could be HDFS or, or whatever data store that you're uh, you're using. Um, and it's you create the materialized view. You essentially you know let's think of it like a CTAS. You move the data over. And um, and then uh, that that data has been moved over, and then you store the the view uh, information inside of the meta store, and and then that goes as the materialized view is successful. So you're also able to actually view these materialized views just like you could view logical views. The 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 flow is pretty much the same after that. You you uh, go to query that uh, that table. 
um, you get that metadata and you still get Hive uh, QL back. So again, we're gonna need Coral to run this translation and before we actually pass that back to the Trino query engine to, to run the plan and ultimately uh, retrieve the data for the materialized view. So, so both, if, if you have uh, Hive tables that exist, be, uh, in, um, exist you know, view, logical views or materialized views that were created in Hive, and now you're moving over to Trino and you wanna read those views, that is uh, totally uh, uh, something you can do the one uh, caveat is that it is a read-only uh, setup here. So your your only the idea is is really for migration into kind of uh, you know if you're trying to update or refresh those views, you're you're not going to have that that capability like you would in uh, in Trino uh, with the Trino. Yeah, exactly. View. I was just going to mention also this is really just a, a helper for people that have high views like from a legacy perspective or. Mm -hmm or have some other tooling where Hive views are still very much used. Because like as great as Coral is, and as, as, as much this is a, a, an amazing feat to have all these translation layers, it is a translation layer, right? Yep. So there's always gonna be edge cases and corner cases that, that are not ideal. And you have to deal with the complexity of understanding how to even write these HiveQL versus proper SQL uh, queries in Trino. So, I think what Anjali and Martina have done recently with the Trina views, that's where it gets truly interesting. And I think that's what, what we want to talk about now. That's, oh. I think that's the amazing side of things. This is more like, yeah, okay, we support this. This is like a legacy thing. Let's, yeah. still, let's do the right thing. <laughs> yep. So now getting to the Trino views, um, you know, there are, there are, when we look at this whole grid of, you know, logical versus materialized and which connector we're, we're working on, uh, so as we kind of mentioned before, Hive and Iceberg are the ones that that are uh, that we're, are we're really uh, you know utilizing our own definitions and our own uh, code to to uh, store and 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 pull and and update these views. So these are the ones that that actually require a lot of our, our own uh, system to, or particularly Trino to to manage these um, versus the other ones like you know Postgres, MySQL. Again, those are all just for for the time being the way that it's set up in the cord or in the uh, connector, those are all getting passed up to uh, uh, as, as basically being uh, shown as, as tables. So Hive and Iceberg are the two connectors that we're looking at. And we um, in Hive, we're currently only able to create logical views. And, uh, and the big change that we're talking about today in, the, in today's PR of the week that we'll cover here in a second is the materialized views that, uh, in Iceberg that, uh, that Anjali added. So first, let's just touch real fast on, on uh, what we're able to do in the Hive connector uh, by doing the, um, uh, by, by just kind of talking through what this sequence will actually look like. So as we mentioned before, now that we're, now that we're in Trino land, everything, every view that we create is already in the Trino syntax. So we no longer need the Coral library. So we're basically gonna create the Trino view. Um, this is going to store that, that Trino uh, uh, query uh, in, the, in the Trino syntax in the Hive Metastore. And then uh, we get a success and now we can actually query that view and pull that data from uh, the metadata and we don't no longer have to do this translation step. This goes directly back to the query engine. We run the plan and we pull the data out. Uh, and again, this is a logical view. So this is actually gonna you know, execute the query uh, internally every single time. So this is the Hive connector. Hive connector does not support doing materialized views. 
Now, up until this time, uh, up until uh, this more recent PR, Anjali, can uh, you talk to us a little bit about uh, materialized views in, uh, in the Iceberg Connector um, and, and kind of talk about some of the challenges uh, there? I think this is really what we're, what we're really interested in hearing about today and, and kind of uh, what, what some of the uh, development challenges were, as well as kind of like implementation details that uh, got a little hairy. Sure. So materialized views don't need to be uh, isolated just to Iceberg Connector. We just decided to start out with Iceberg because uh, at Netflix, a lot of our data is in Iceberg format. Um, so there is the engine side implementation that uh, added commands to create materialized views, drop materialized views, and a new materialized view specific thing, which is the refresh materialized view. So what happens when you create a materialized view is essentially you're saying that this materialized view is computed using the SQL definition. Say my MV is created as select star from base table where date range is last, last 90 days, something like that. So when you say create materialized view, all that happens is, is this object is created in the meta store and it looks similar to the view object except with a special indication that this is a materialized view. Mm. At this point, if you try to write a query against this materialized view, it doesn't have any data. So it's gonna say, hey, there is no data that's cached for this materialized view. So, so engine is going to have to expand the definition like it does for a logical view and go execute the, the definition query. That is select star from that base table where date range was last 90 days. Now comes this new command. It's called refresh materialized view. Refresh materialized view essentially says, evaluate that query definition and store that data in the materialized view. Once that happens, the materialized view can be said to be fresh. It's fresh with respect to the underlying base table. Now, if you issued a select query, select star from this materialized view, engine can establish that this is latest data and query can be served from the materialized view. It doesn't need to go, to go to the base table, doesn't need to expand the view definition and so on and so forth. And drop materialized view is pretty similar to a drop view command, which uh, destroys the view object as well as drops the associated uh, storage, associated mm -hmm. data. So really the challenge is this is, you can do so much with materialized views the challenge is to figure out where to start. Mm -hmm. And what I worked with Martin and David pretty closely on this work. And what we decided is we want to get first MVP, some simple implementation with basic syntax, and we can add on top of that as we go along. Um, so some of the interesting things really come around refresh, like how should the refresh happen? Should it be automatic? As soon as base data change, changes, should the engine detect that and refresh the materialized view? Hmm. Or should it be triggered by a user? Um, how exactly do you populate the data in the materialized view? So some of the interesting design challenges were along, uh, along the refresh command. Hmm. Yeah, because I, I imagine if you are over optimistic on trying to constantly keep that data fresh and maintained, that's 
you 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 rerun the entire query, I assume, or or do you? Is there some way to kind of figure out a delta, uh, and and maybe specifically, is it different with Iceberg versus Hive to be able to implement something like that, where you could actually see like, because I in Iceberg, right? There's there's ways to kind of maybe do that kind of delta or that that change where you're only updating specific, uh, like the specific rows or the specific changes that were applied. Is is there some fancy way that you could do that, or or is there um, or, or, or do you just have to rerun the entire query every time? So you're exactly right, Brian. That is what needs to happen is the materialized view needs to be updated in an incremental fashion. Just okay. the change data needs to be updated. But what we have right now is a full refresh, what is called a full refresh, where every time a refresh materialized view command is issued, the entire uh, query is recomputed and materialized view is populated. Um, the incremental refresh, it it can happen in multiple ways. And this is where, as I mentioned, the, the ex excitement and challenge comes in. Yeah. With Iceberg specifically, you can look at snapshot IDs. You can look at what files were added to the underlying table, how the partitioning of the base table and the materialized view aligns to figure out what exactly needs to be updated. Hmm. From Trino point of view, though, given all the other connectors, maybe the approach needs to be more general where a row level refresh might be interesting where you can track which rows were added to the base table which rows were updated or deleted and pick up those deltas and apply them to the materialized view where it's, would, it's a little more complicated yeah. to implement but i think it's a more general approach do you, would you store that i guess that that information would have to be stored in whatever meta store or because uh, right now we're talking hive meta store but I know like theoretically where, you know, icebergs brought up a whole lot of discussion around like maybe alternative meta store capabilities. And so you'd, you'd have to store that I'm guessing in uh, Hive, currently Hive meta store, but maybe some other meta store that, that you're using depending on the connector. That's right. And it could be a connector specific implementation, or we could think about uh, a common way to represent this metadata. And is there any just clear get, oh. just to just to understand this like i mean obviously going down incremental approaches and stuff is super complex potentially depending on the query but i think even the the totally naive uh, approach of well whenever we refresh it we just drop it and recreate it new and leave all the complexity to the underlying system is a totally workable solution depending yeah. on the use case right like if you have something where your view is like for whatever is yesterday and before, well, you just run it every day at midnight and be done, right? Like, so there's lots of lots of use cases uh, that are possible and enabled by just a totally naive thing where you're like, well, we just drop it and create it new and leave the rest to it. It just gets tricky probably when the data is so much that creating that view and it takes a long time, right? And, and Angela, you also mentioned like you could do it per row, but you could also do it like per like different different ways that you can slice the data up, right? Uh, is there any other other type of slice that, or you know, kind of horizontal or, or or vertical slicing that you can do that kind of focus in on how to update that? Uh, yes, partitioning is one of those ways. But sure. before I touch upon that, I wanted to expand on what Manfred said. Hmm. Um, it's exactly right that materialized views are really a nice mechanism for the user to create and cache their data and rely on the system to, to tell them whether this data is fresh or stale. 
So in typical shops, it's different teams that manage ETL. So asking the ETL team to do like, a, hey, create, do a C task for me, create this table for me. It's a, there is there is a bit of friction there, right? Mm. Uh, materialized views really remove that that friction because the power is with the end user. It's a simple create command. It's a simple refresh command. Yeah. And refresh, even if it's a full refresh, will be a no op if underlying data has not not changed um, since the view the materialized view was refreshed. So, oh, so wow. it really puts the power in the hands of the end user. Yeah. Now going back to Brian's question on incremental refresh, one of the simpler things that can be done perhaps quickly, the implementation could be done perhaps quickly is using partitioning. If the, for example, Iceberg Hive both support partitioning, um, say if your base table is a sales table that gets populated say every night with the sales data for that particular day. So that table is partitioned on date and materialized view maybe aggregates the sales data by region but also by day and materialized view could also be partitioned by date. Now it stands to reason that as data for a new day comes in, that's the only partition in materialized view that needs to be added or recomputed. Rest of the previous day's worth of data is still fresh and it's still there. So essentially the refresh work is reduced to just doing this incremental maintenance. Um, and this is something probably can be built fairly quickly. Yeah, that's awesome. So how, 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 what use cases did uh, originally drive this at Netflix and how is it like, are you running this in production or did it roll, like, are you rolling this out? How your users are liking it? How is that going? So materialized views are, uh, we're rolling it out in production. Some of our users are already using it, but before I talk about materialized views, I would like to take a step back and talk about views a little bit because mm -hmm. in a way views form the basis for materialized views. So. What we did at Netflix was we took this Trino views implementation. We uh, added support for logical views in Iceberg connector. As I mentioned, most of our data is in Iceberg format. So that support was necessary. Um, and another interesting thing at Netflix is we have two query engines. Trino is the, is the widely adopted most beloved query engine and Spark is another, which is used by uh, people to do some heavyweight ETL. So it's often the case that one team or one person would create views, tables, materialized views through Spark and users would use it through Trino. So given this interoperable challenge, it was really important for us that any objects we create are, uh, they can be created, dropped, read from both the engines. Mm -hmm. So we decided to uh, store the metadata in JSON format in S3, and we use Iceberg library for that. So if you're familiar with how Iceberg stores its metadata, uh, we did something similar for views and mm -hmm. we call it common views. So Hive meta store has the view object, a materialized view object, depending on what type of view it is. And it essentially points to an S3 file that has detailed metadata. Now this metadata, as you can imagine for logical views, is schema, who created it, what the definition looks like and so on. Moreover, we could version this metadata so that as you say, create or replace view, create or replace materialized view, you have the same object that's undergoing transformation. Maybe first create view just selected three columns, then you decided to add a few more columns. 
you can track that version history. If needed, you could go back and roll back to the version that you wanted. But this, what this allowed us to do is access the logical views as well as materialized views from both the engines. Um, and that made it really interesting for our end users because then they didn't have to stick to one engine to do their operations. They could switch easily back and forth. So just last week for fun, I checked um, how many views do we have, uh, common views. And the number a couple of weeks ago was 147,000 views. Wow. Oh, wow. So, so apparently our, our users do like it. And some of them are pretty simple with, um, with A-B testing team, experimentation team. It's just filters on test ID. Some of them are a little more complex with date filters. Others are a lot more complex where the definition doesn't even fit on a screen and you're just scrolling. It's like, wow, you're doing this with views. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a join with aggregation and bunch of complex case statements. So it's, it's all kinds of cases. And As that works and that works transparently in Spark and in Intuino now for you. That's right. Wow. That's awesome. That's really cool. Nice. <laughs> so, um, yeah, as I'm, I'm wondering, actually, that's a, such a high number. A, a, a good chunk of that has to be probably coming from, you know, some some automated generated type of, uh, of uh, view system. So I'm wondering what proportion is like uh, uh, your, your direct Tableau users versus, uh, you know, kind of d defining their own views and uh, and how many of those those exist. But yeah, still such a incredible number. And, and the fact that you're maintaining all of that, is that all that's that's logical and materialized views? These are just logical views. And okay. the same users of logical views started saying, hey, it would be great if these logical views could be materialized. That's when we started looking at materialized yeah. views. Because I'm wondering if- Because uh, they want them faster as usual, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's also gonna duplicate, of course. It's going to duplicate the uh, you know some of the 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 data there. So I'm I'm wondering if you know depending on on how how you know the size of that maybe some other thing at that scale you're going to have to maybe make some considerations to uh, increase uh, increase capacity there. So storage That's capacity, true. very cool. Uh, and I'm sure yeah, that, I'm obviously I'm thinking about this, but you you guys have have already thought through all of that. <laughs> so. Um, That's amazing. So, Martin, what's the future now with this? Like, this is awesome. In the in the iceberg connector and the hype connector also has some stuff. Um, what are we doing next? This is all exciting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the future is to uh, like, as Angeli said, was saying, we we started with a small uh, use case that we we wanted to try out and kind of start fleshing out the the APIs and, and how it needs to work. The future is is to be able to handle any type of, of materialized views, have the engine be able to reason about the materialized views, be able to uh, potentially even take advantage of materialized views to speed up existing query or, or, or new queries. Like for example, if you create a materialized view that says, um, I know I wanna count some value uh, group by date, and then you happen to run a query that happen, happens to have that, that formulation inside the query plus a, a bunch of other things, we may say, well, that can be substituted with the result we pre-computed already in this materialized view, hmm. and then you avoid a bunch of computation at runtime. Wow. Nice. Um, is what called what's called materialized view uh, query query rewrites. Is it re rewrite parts of the plan to take advantage of um, uh, what you have already computed in, in, in a materialized view. 
Wow. So uh, those are the things we're, we're going to start looking into. I mean, it's it's a, it's a complex and complicated uh, topic, especially in in, yeah. in in how an optimizer needs to work and all that. But it's almost one uh, not a total substitute. Direction. It's not a total substitute, but it's almost like kind of similar to spilling uh, to some degree. It's like. I mean, other than the reuse, there's there's a reuse part of it that that wouldn't necessarily be just spilling it, but that could uh, that could definitely be some sort of, uh, uh, I guess, way to avoid having to do any type, like type of spilling, if you if you precompute. But it's that. much more native, right? Like it goes to the underlying storage. So yeah. So now all of this work is currently happening in the iceberg connector. And I guess some stuff exists in the hive connector. Are we gonna see those sort of like? merge so that like both views are supported in both connectors and then we'll sort of sprinkle it out across other connectors is that kind of also well, something that people are looking at or not just yet well there there is an, an engine component to this and that's yeah. common to every connector mm -hmm. so the the smarts about how to interpret the views uh how to do the rewrites uh based on the view definitions all that happens in the, in the end or will happen in the engine over time and, and then it will be up to connectors to just implement the, the corresponding, corresponding connector APIs to provide the view definitions, to provide the, 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 the bits of, of information that the engine needs to be able to make that, those decisions, just like with, with any other uh, connector API. Is, is there any other and connector? Then, oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, and then over time, hopefully we'll expand uh, support to other connectors. Like today, yeah, Hive and... And Iceberg are the, the main ones, but I expect other connectors to leverage this over in, in the future. That was going to be my question, actually, was like, is there any other connector that we have in mind that where this would be like, you know, just a, a heads up to anybody who is in a, any kind of thing like I'm trying to think of what this would look like in, like, let's say Elasticsearch, you know, is that is that even like possible to to do something like this in Elasticsearch or is this like, you know, is there only specific kind of more traditional data, like date like SQL type databases that are that this would make sense in well I guess a longer term given that the the majority of the of the logic will exist in the engine that, so the logic for how to process a materialized view how to refresh a materialized view how to potentially potentially incrementally refresh the materialized view how to rewrite a query to take advantage of a materialized view that already exists then the job of the connector will only be to store the definition of the materialized view and store the data. And, and then maybe there might be a few, a few more APIs to be able to describe the incrementality of the, of the definition and so on. But, um, but then it, it's up to like, for example, in, in Elasticsearch, you may have an index that happens to be a materialization of a query over another index or, or, or even a, a, a table in a different connector. Yeah. And, and then the engine will be the one that maintains the the freshness and yep and so on got it yes yeah, so you could even have an a, maybe have like an own your own uh, one index that's actually storing the data and then another index that would actually be storing the uh kind of metadata about about like those those refresh intervals and things like that you could do that way yeah yeah, yeah. cool okay uh well that's really interesting and uh, super cool is there um a angeli is there anything else that you wanted to kind of cover in terms of like uh your work or or in particular the uh, uh what you all have going on in netflix uh one interesting thing i wanted to mention was we are exploring use of materialized views for query result caching so 
if, uh, uh, so the idea is you use the same materialized view infrastructure, when the query first comes in, you create a materialized view that stores the data using in-memory connector or another, some other mechanism, but idea is to store those query results in memory so that when we see the query the second time, mm. uh, Trino can establish whether the cached results are still current, still fresh and serve it from the, from the cache. So that's, that's something we are playing with. And it's funny because like we, we keep we keep hearing about the memory connector. <laughs> we were talking just last week with uh, uh, with the resurface guys that were they were uh, basically uh, they they had used some on some of their initial prototyping for um, for their solution. They they use the memory connector, so it'd be kind of interesting to see uh, if if your some of your work and their work uh, would would overlap in some way. <laughs> particularly making uh, the memory connector something that's a little less, you know, uh, something more production uh, durable. <laughs> so it's not in production yet, but uh, from uh, how we have played with memory connector, it looks like a very promising thing to use. Cool. Yeah, that's that's so interesting to hear. I mean, so we we even talked about a couple of the implementation details that were missing from it. Like, have you ma kind of made it a more distributed uh, memory connector? Like, is it? A oh, wow. Very cool. So you've already kind of etched into that. Anything else you could tell us about, like kind of some cool things about the memory connector before we hop off that subject? Um, I think memory connector needs a few little improvements, but uh, for example, spilling one is the one that comes to mind. Yeah. Being able to uh, partition the the memory tables that would be super useful. But one of the use cases we are trying to support with memory connectors is where the there is a flow where first query creates some intermediate results that reside in these in-memory tables. Subsequent uh, part of the flow reads um, multiple times from these intermediate uh, uh, cached uh, memory tables and then create more memory tables, which in turn, in the end gets read and returned to the client. So that's that's kind of the memory connector related another use case that comes to mind uh, that where we are exploring uh, and, use of memory connector. And you all jumped into memory connector because of the, like, perhaps the, the more native, uh, the, the more native uh, use of, of uh, in memory structures and things like that versus something like, you know, we, we already have like a Redis connector, but that's kind of, I, I guess, go, you know, going across an entire network and things like that to actually ha like, this is something Rob was said that they, they avoided the, Re the Redis uh, um, connector just because it, there's a whole network hop in between there that you're having to deal with versus, uh, you know, maybe just directly uh, storing it in, in memory in Trino. That's right. And there is no serialization, deserialization happening with memory connector. It's the, it's the, how the data is in memory is how it's stored and read. So um, reading from memory, writing to memory has to be the fastest thing you can yeah. do rather than reading from uh, S3, SSDs, any yeah. other mechanism. I just, I find it so fascinating that this is like something that keeps popping up. So, so definitely something to, to uh, keep our eye on as well with this memory connector uh, uh, craze that's going on in the community. So thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> So, um, well, with that, uh, if, if nobody has anything else to add, I, I'd like to hop on. So, officially talk about this PR of the week, even though we've 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 been talking about it before. Uh, we, so, this was four eight three two, and this is the one that that uh, you had uh, gone through and and, and created, uh, Angeli, and. This is the one that actually pulled in the iceberg connector for materialized views. If you want to check out, uh, you know, the changes that 
uh, were involved. Uh, you can definitely go in and, and check this out. It's uh, uh, pretty pretty interesting to look over uh, some of the changes that were made, and you know, just even to get a sense of the different tests that were run, just to kind of understand like uh, what, what was involved to uh, to set that up. I also put in the honorable mention PRs. Uh, so uh, you you had an, a separate PR that was more focused on the the syntax that needed to get added. So we had no syntax even for creating and and refreshing um, and 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 then uh, uh, dropping materialized views. So so this in itself is was yet another uh, uh, change that if you're more interested into the kind of parsing and syntax stuff, uh, this is a cool PR to to check out. Um, Anything you wanted to mention about those, uh, those like uh, 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 difficulties there, or 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 something to to uh, if our users want to go jump into it, what are what are some of the cool uh, classes or anything to check out there? Nothing on the top. <laughs> uh, nothing off the top of my head. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. I just I, I put you on the spot with that one, but uh, yeah, definitely check those out. I think it's uh, it was interesting to just take a look over those. And then the last one I wanted to do as an honorable mention uh, was from uh, Laura Chen Yu, and uh, that was um, uh, this integrating the Coral one. I mentioned that before. So this one was the actual uh, uh, PR four six six one that that uh, brought Coral in th that enabled us to read the, those hive logical and hive materialized views. So uh, so thank you very much for everybody who's uh, contributing for, for all of these uh, so we can have such a pretty view from the uh, uh, from Trino. Um, yeah, the hive, uh, sorry, the hive views, that's a lot of work involved. Piotr and others are like very much on that. It's a long process too. We're working very closely with them to improve Coral and like have more test cases and stuff like that. So that's a, an ongoing large effort. So lots of lots of people involved there, it's great. Yeah, we have to maybe dig into that more uh, in another show. Um, so finally, let me uh, go through the demo real, uh, real fast. Um, so I'd like to actually show uh, you know anybody who wants to get their hands dirty with this. Uh, I uh, I think it's just a lot of fun. Uh, I currently I need to get a a better setup for this, uh, but what I'm currently running on is a um, uh, a temporary uh, uh, Docker image that's using. Um, this this testing image that we have. Eventually, we I will uh, make a separate Docker image that will encapsulate basically uh, HDFS and, uh, and and Hive uh, uh, in place of this. But for now, uh, this is basically you want to have a some sort of Docker image that uh, houses Hive sitting over HDFS, and then we will then have the Trino coordinator. And um, in the uh, in the definition here, let me just show this for um, anybody that's curious to know. Um, we expose the Metastore from this image, uh, which is um, just at 3306. Uh, the Thrift is uh, thrift uh, API is at 9083. And then we can also talk directly to the Hive. So those are like the three super important um, uh, ports that get exposed here. And this enables us to do a couple things. We can you know, obviously directly connect through Trino by specifying the Thrift um, the Thrift uh, uh, API or the Thrift uh, URL. Um, we can directly connect to Hive, uh, so we have a direct connection to uh, talking directly to Hive. And then we can also look at our, our Metastore. Um, and this is actually, I think, yeah, this Metastore DB1 is the one that we're, we're interested in. So, um, so why don't we go ahead and start out. Um, the first command we can run is uh, let's just see what schemas uh, I, I've labeled this. Um, I've labeled this uh, um, 
the uh, catalog HDFS, but it's actually just a Hive uh, catalog. And what we want to do is uh, create a, uh, a schema called Tiny. Let's go ahead and create that schema. And then we're going to actually create two tables. Uh, and this is going through Trino Hive Connector just so I can easily run the uh, CTAS query to pull data from the customer and orders tables and uh, dump them into uh, the Hive, Hive uh, tables here. So we'll go ahead and run those. So this is first copying over customer. There we go. And then copying over orders. And now, uh, as we, um, as you would expect, we can just you know pull a little uh, sample query from those, and you know uh, I I added the create table just so you can look at these uh, these um, uh, the was it the schema. So off these two tables, um, if we now look in uh, in Hive, we now have a uh, a tiny data uh, database under the Hive one. So we created it in Trino, but now it shows up under Hive. And we still have those customer and orders table. So now let's first look at the uh, the legacy support. If we create a view in Hive using those those uh, uh, values, uh, first let's actually oh yeah let's go ahead and create that. Um, let's see. Oh, got an error of course. Um, let me see. Nothing immediately. Oh, there's some issue in. We might have to forego uh, messing with that. Uh, let me try to just do one more refresh on the connection and see if we can run it one more time. Oh, I okay. So use. Let's see if we can use the tiny. I think I just needed to refresh it. It's thinking now. There we go. Use tiny, and now we want to. There we go. Created the view. Okay. So we created this high view, and now let's go ahead and take a look in the Metastore, what the state status is. So we're basically going to look at the tables that we have uh, set up under the tiny database in Hive. And what we see here is we see the customer's table and we see the orders table, and those are of table type external table. Then we've now created a high view, which is a virtual view, and it shows the, the text that was created here. So this is... Uh, when I when I was showing the sequence diagrams before, um, you know this is what uh, ultimately Trino will go out and, and retrieve, and this is in the uh, uh, the Hive uh, syntax. So this is the part that will need to get translated through the Coral library uh, before this actually gets sent back to the uh, before this actually gets sent back to Trino. Likewise, uh, we can also create a materialized view in Hive, and I'm just going to do these together, and this is actually going to execute this query actually run the select statement down here that uh, before the uh, materialize or before the view statement and and then actually store that in HDFS versus the exact same query that was run in this hive underscore view um, table or hive underscore view view is uh, is going to simply just store the the SQL um, so let's actually go ahead and now update the metastore information and the the uh, the view uh, or origin view text or basically the view uh, query is still the exact same between the two the materialized view and the uh, the um, logical view, but the difference is within the table type. So Hive actually stores it as a virtual view 
uh, versus a materialized view. So that's how Hive itself knows how to uh, pull this data from there. And so now if we go to uh, looking at this from Trino, we would now actually want to run this query against Trino and uh, be able to talk to Hive. And uh, let me just copy this select statement. So if we actually run on HDFS Tiny and if we look at what views are available, let me just refresh this real fast. We should see that hive underscore view is available. And what's interesting here is that, here, let's pull hive view underscore view. Let's pull that data back. So we now have data coming in from Hive. This is where the, the coral translation had to happen in order for the planning uh, to take place. And then we actually get our, our results from talking to the logical Hive view. So that, had, that didn't have any data actually written into HDFS. That actually ran the query at runtime and then pulled that data back. Now, if we wanted to run the materialized view here, we would say Hive underscore materialized view and oh. and this is actually going to return a lot faster because it's actually just pulling back data that almost like it's pulling data from a table. So, um, but it underneath Trino, it actually doesn't show underneath views. It's showing as uh, I thought it should actually show as a view. No, yeah, it'll show as a table. So this is kind of uh, one of those things that Martin was talking about where depending on how it's implemented in the connector, it will show maybe some views will actually end up showing. And I think this is how it's done in uh, like Postgres and MySQL. It'll show views as actually showing up under tables. And that's just a small implementation detail, but you're still able to query it the same way nonetheless. So that's pulling Hive created views from Trino. Now, if we create a Trino view, Let's go ahead and, and create a view from Trino uh, without and, and store it in the Trino syntax. So check what that looks like in Metastore and update that. We have uh, Trino or uh, Trino calls it a virtual view um, uh, as in terms of the table type, just like Hive does. In term, uh, but then it actually stores an encrypted blob here, uh, not encrypted, but a uh, um, uh, just a, a byte blob uh, of the query that will ultimately get pulled out and translated back directly to Trino. So there's no, in this particular case, there's no coral translation that needs to ha happen here. So, um, so if we run the query on the Trino view, we can, oh, I didn't select the right thing. There we go. Same thing, we pull the data back, and this time uh, it's almost like the high view, except for the differences is that no translation needed to happen because the uh, it was stored as a as in the Trino syntax. If we look at the create view on the 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 schema on this, you actually find that this is um, this is actually going to be store showing you the internal uh, the internal view syntax that gets returned. It actually doesn't show the schema or show the types or anything like you would with a regular table. So that's specifically with a logical view, but materialized view is a little bit different. Um, I also wanted to show very fast uh, in, in Hive, you are not able to actually create a materialized view. Um, so we'll get an error back that says this connector does not support creating materialized views for now. And that's just something that is just to know if, if you're using the Hive connector, that's something that's not supported now. 
Now let's move into Iceberg and see if we can actually create a, a view on Iceberg. And in particular, the logical view, um, I'll just say it right now, it does not support creating views. So you'll also get a similar type of uh, exception there. But with Angelise uh, PR, we are able to now create materialized views in Iceberg. So uh, if I go ahead and run that, it's actually running the query and and uh, and going in and and you know moving the data around and actually run, running it. So it took a little bit longer than just you know the quick view definition. And if we look at that inside the Hive Meta Store, we now see two uh, things come up. So Angeli, actually, I think uh, you'll you'll explain this better than I, I can. Uh, what's going on here? Why did we create a table, uh, external table, as well as a virtual view? Uh, uh, could you explain that a little bit? The reason is the materialized view has a view definition, which is captured in the form of that virtual view object, mm -hmm. and it creates a storage table where the data for the materialized view goes. That's why it has two representations in the meta store. Cool. Yeah, so so it, it'll show up actually with a table name with kind of a bit of a cryptic uh, table name there, but internally the uh, iceberg will store uh, this um, this this directory or just direction into that to point to that external table in the metadata, um, and then so we can actually then uh, pull from that data. Uh, it's you know iceberg materialized view. We can uh, query it just as before, and then the last thing. I wanted to show in the difference between materialized view versus a um, the what was it? Um, let's see, iceberg. Here, I want to say iceberg materialized view. The difference between the schema or the show create view that gets returned uh, when you run this uh, that I show create. Oh, is it show create materialized view? Oh no, uh, you can actually run show create table on, on the materialized view, that's what it was. So if you run show create table on the materialized view, or maybe that wasn't right, is it show, maybe show create materialized view? You should be able to run show create materialized view. Okay, maybe that's, that's what it was. Oh, I thought I had, I'd done, I thought I had done it. Um, Show create materialized view. Oh, it's I have the wrong. Iceberg. I think if it's if I show iceberg and use that, that that there it is. Okay, I was using I was trying to uh, call it from hive the hive connector versus the iceberg connector. So uh, and this one actually shows uh, the um, oh this one also shows the the view. I think there was one way that I pulled it out before where it actually showed the table definition, and so I was getting a little confused there. So this is showing the correct uh, view um, uh, view view uh, query versus showing the actual table uh, schema definition. So uh, so Brian, in your sequence, I do not see a refresh happening. Maybe oh if you did a yeah yeah. Uh, now, if so I, it likely expanded the materialized view to uh, this limit ten. Run the select query. Okay, so it, it would have, it would have expanded it, but uh, it doesn't actually run the query in the very beginning. So let's go ahead and actually do that. That's a so we would say uh, refresh uh, materialized here. view. Yeah, let me just and then we'll do that on here. And it's, so if I actually did a, uh, let's, before we actually run this, what if I do a count? If I did a count on, uh, on the table that was generated here, just do a little, um, I, sh I should expect 
to see. So there's this ST table. Um, if I actually did a count here, select count from, and then uh, hive dot, or HDFS tiny dot, and then this ST uh, value, should I expect to only see like a, let's see what we actually, let's just see what we get. <clears throat> Unable to create input from file input format. Uh, I think a better way to see how that query got executed is to put an explain in front of your explain select star from materialized view. Okay. And that plan should show um, the use of the table, not the materialized view. Gotcha. Okay. Of the underlying table. So let's do explain select star from, yep. Uh, and then we'll do iceberg, iceberg. There we go. All right. Oop. I lost. Okay. So so Rose down here is saying fifteen thousand one hundred seventy-two, uh, coming from the source. So um, let me see. Then the scan. But I'm trying to see what actually comes up. So it looks like that actually did execute when I did the select. So the refresh would actually, uh, if I- Do you see the table name at the bottom at the scan level? The scan level. The scan level is showing there. Um, it's gonna be hard for people to see this on the, on the setup here, but the table name here on the view Um, so essentially, if you looked at this plan, it's right now not coming up clear for me yeah. or in the UI, you would see that your, uh, materialized view was based on a different table. You would see that table getting accessed here. Okay. Now, if you refresh the materialized view and then did a select or explain at the scan level, you would see the storage table name, okay. the, the cryptic name. We'll that's, leave that's how I would tell. Uh, whether we are serving cached results or if we are expanding the materialized view. Okay, that's that'll be a good, I think, follow-up exercise for anybody who's who's playing around with this, so we're not <laughs> too, uh, hanging hanging too long. But yeah, I'll I think that's definitely something that'll be cool to to play around with. So ideally, they would see you know, are they pulling this from the st underscore you know some some sort of a actual staged uh, uh, table or is or is this actually coming from uh, some sort of expanded, like logical type uh, uh, view. Uh, 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 That's right. Pulling from that. Okay, cool. So we'll now let's run that refresh materialized view and cross connector. Uh, cross connector materialized views are not supported. And this is pulling from iceberg, tiny iceberg materialized view. Hmm. Okay. Well, we'll leave that. Uh, I'll, I'll put something in the show notes and see if I can fix that up uh, afterwards But uh, and see what uh, there could be something wrong with my setup in terms of running this. But uh, it's saying, yeah, cross-connector cross materialized views are not supported. And um, maybe unless there's something uh, immediate you have that came to mind. Does your view refer to a table in a different connector? Table in a different connector. Uh, so maybe I need to do this in HDFS? Let me see. Let's try HDFS tiny, but I, I would imagine it would have been, uh, 
Yeah, okay. That's going to be under iceberg, I, I would believe. I'm wondering if... Well, you have to look at the view definition. Oh, okay. Well, let me see. Where are we at on time? We're already at a, about an hour 20. I would say I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at this after uh, <laughs> I'll take a look at this afterwards and then we'll add the uh, the issue in the show notes uh, and then potentially look at, um, you know, what uh, what what would if you do get this error um, when you're playing around with it, uh, what you can do in place of it. Um, uh, so so one uh, like Martin mentioned, currently the materialized views are supported only in iceberg. That means the table needs to be iceberg and the materialized view that you create has to be created through iceberg connector and yeah. i think that is where that the might have been the issue. Is. Uh, but brian you are a very brave person to be doing <laughs> online on the spot demos so kudos to you <laughs> thanks by the way that's also interesting to note by the way which is kind of really odd um the the logical views in hive can refer to whatever like you can literally use the hive you can create a view in hive in the Hive connector that doesn't even point to a table in Hive. It could be some other connector or like do a federated query that pulls various things together, which is kind of an odd use case. But because uh, the query uh, of that view definition is just transparently stored as a string in the Hive meta store, it doesn't really matter what's in that view in the definition, which is, is interesting as the use case. Mm. Yeah, um, I I don't know if I I I, I grabbed all that <laughs> I grabbed all that what you just said, but uh, um, but yeah, let's uh, go ahead and move on to the um, uh, onto the question of the week, and uh, we can uh, wrap it up after that. Um, let's see, so uh, so question of the week: uh, Are JDBC drivers backwards compatible with older Trino versions? So this gets into uh, one of the questions that came up a lot. Uh, whenever we did the name rebranding from Presto SQL to, to Trino. Um, and so I'll, I'll kind of go in the full question. It's actually, are they backwards compatible with older Trino versions? Uh, currently trying to install a 354 um, driver on multi-tenanted Tableau server. And so there might be older Trino versions at play. So they, it looks, sounds like they have a mixed bag of, you know, uh, some, sometimes they might have a Presto SQL uh, before, like lower, less than or equal to 350 uh, um, client. And then they may also have a couple newer Trino clients. Uh, and so in this particular use case, provided they are using a, uh, a Trino server, uh, they would actually be fine because, uh, you know, uh, Trino tr basically, Trino is able to uh, to handle both the Presto header and the Trino header um, uh, coming from both of those clients. But if they were on a older, uh, you know, Presto SQL server, uh, and this is something that wasn't really specified in the initial question, um, but if they were running on an older Presto SQL uh, server, then the Trino clients wouldn't be able to actually talk to the the uh, 350 and below versions of of Trino as well. So. I like to kind of summarize it as in short, you can have a Presto SQL client talk to a Trino server, but you can't have a Trino client talk to a Presto SQL server. That's kind of the, the general su summation of, of the answer there. Um, anything... The recommendation is to upgrade both to the latest releases or later newer <laughs> Trino releases to get cool commands like match recognize and all sorts of new features all the time. 
As, yeah. Oh, speaking of match recognized, uh, we'll do one last little uh, talk about this. Uh, Martin, I, I think you were the closest to uh, some of the changes uh, going on with, with uh, uh, Kaisa. So would you want to kind of talk about what is match recognized and what does it do? Oh, that's a topic for an entire hour. <laughs> 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 um, so, so it's, I mean, take a look at that, that blog post, but basically in, in, in in, uh, in a nutshell, it's a SQL language feature that was added in in the 2016 specific, uh, revision of the SQL specific specification. And what it allows, allows you to do is define uh, or uh, is write queries that can find patterns in your, uh, in your rows. So you can say, I want to match. Um, so you know that normally in SQL, you can operate on single rows. So you can do full aggregations of rows. With window functions, you can sort of do some kind of uh, processing across multiple rows. Mm -hmm. um, with match recognize, you can say, I want to uh, to see uh, sequences of rows that follow this pattern. Wow. And, and the canonical example is like you have, I know, pri prices and you want to see uh, when the price goes up and down and up and down and, and detect that pattern. And then you can do something with it. You can uh, you can uh, like capture the, the peaks and the and the valleys and or, 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 the, or the highest price or the lowest price or something like that. And this is something that is very, very hard to do without this, this type of feature. So mm. it's, it's a very sophisticated feature, very complex in terms of all the things you can do. Uh, so I, I would encourage to go look at the, that blog post and then, and then try it out. Awesome. Yeah, props, props to Cassia. She she wrote the code, she wrote the documentation, and she wrote the blog post, and we we just helped her. But it, oh my god, it, it's it, pretty amazing. It was it was fantastic work. This this is a complicated language feature that touched everything from the language to the execution engine. Uh, so optimizers, analyzer, parser, um, and and the code. The, the, I, 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 just trying to decipher what the specification says is is a it's a huge huge task. <laughs> it was a uh, fourteen thousand line change. Wow, so that's a pretty massive change. That's insane. I think she's trying to to push her way up into the uh, into the ranks of the top ten, I guess. <laughs> so I think she's already there. <laughs> yeah, she. she I, I wouldn't be surprised. So very cool. Um, well, uh, well, that's a cool way to end it off. Uh, Anjali, thank you so much for, for joining us today to, to talk about all this cool stuff that, that you have been working on and, uh, and, and just stuff that's been going on in Netflix in general. Uh, we, we've had Netflix on now, now twice, and just each time we just get to hear about just really, really cool stuff that you all are doing over there and, and uh, really uh, happy that, that you all are sharing it with us, uh, just talking about what you're doing instead of just do, you know, keeping it all internal. Exactly. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Okay. Uh, well, with that, uh, thanks everyone for joining. Uh, and we'll be taking a little bit of a three-week hiatus uh, uh, after this. We we kind of moved this uh, week a little earlier because uh, I have uh, family things coming up <laughs> in the next couple of days. I'll be moving here shortly. Uh, so uh, so thanks for bearing with with, uh, with us on that. Uh, we'll be off for three weeks, and then we'll be back uh, uh, as uh, as ready as ever to talk about the next cool uh, uh, Trino feature and see what's going on in the community and all so definitely 357 and maybe even 358 right maybe like, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah we had to skip the the 357 release because that will be coming out probably landing tomorrow or the day after is that right martin yeah to here tomorrow okay yeah. all right well thanks everyone for joining us music for the show today is uh from mega man 6 gameplay album by christoph slawakowski and you all have a great day